Welcome to the Camerosity Podcast, the first ever open source film photography podcast. I am your host, Mike Ekman, and we were off last week, but we're back again with Mr. Anthony Rowe. Hey, Anthony. Hello. Welcome from the swampy state of Florida. Swampy state of Florida. And from the non-swampy country of Australia, Mr. Theo Panagopoulos. How's it going down there, Theo? Hi, Mike. Hi, Anthony. Um, really good. Really nice sunny day. We do have our swamps down here too, by the way, but uh, not obviously the same type. We have crocodiles instead of alligators, though. All right. Excellent. Um, well, you know, I can see in the waiting room we already have um, three people waiting now. So uh, I guess we'll just open the doors and, and let some guests in. Uh, and, and like always, we don't know what people are going to talk about. This is... Uh, this is going to be a fun one, I have a feeling, based on this first person that's coming in right now. Uh, he'll be joining in a second, but we're going to have Mr. Cheyenne Morrison uh, joining us. Cheyenne was on uh, the first ever episode we did when it was Cocaine and Waffles back in May, uh, and it was definitely a hoot. Um, he promised us, though, that he's not going to be working this time. Uh, for anybody <laughs> who remembers that episode, uh, he was in a client's house. So, hey, Cheyenne, can you hear us? Yeah, I'm not in the crack house today, guys. No, no, not in the crack house. Uh, we're letting in. Uh, oh, this is Johnny. Okay, so he's not a special guest. <laughs> Let Johnny back, or, or should we? We refer to him as Rock Kenwell. And then uh, we have one last person waiting here. Let me let him in. Uh, looks like Michael Kaplan. Um, I, I recognize Michael. He's a frequent poster on the Vintage Camera Collectors Facebook group. Uh, I see his face. Michael, can you hear us? Yeah. Hey, everybody. How are you? Hello. How you doing? Hello. Welcome. Good. Good. Thanks. Appreciate so, it. So we have, um, as usual, myself, Theo and Anthony. Uh, Johnny, a.k.a. Rock Kenwell, is joining. Uh, I can see his face. He's sitting upright, so that at least suggests his back is feeling a little bit better this week. Cheyenne looks like might be trying to get his camera working, so I guess we'll give him a moment. But Mike, since since you're... Uh, the, the, the guest that looks like your audio is working well. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm Mike Kaplan. I'm uh, from Columbus, Ohio, and um, I've uh, been listening to every show up to this point and um, really excited about joining you guys tonight. Yeah. Well, it's a real opportunity. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, we, we try to do this to be a little bit different than the other podcasts. Um, there's only so much like a uh, row effects and, uh, Argus lens talk we could possibly have. So um, oh, we have another person in the waiting room. Should we just open the doors and let everybody in? Sure. We, we lost Johnny. It's like we a, lost Johnny. Be, it's like a Who concert. It's a Who concert. <laughs> <laughs> this is Jess Hobbs. Hello, Johnny. Hello, Jess. Hello, hello. Hi. Hi. Hey, hey Jess. Hello, Jess. Uh, so hi, everyone. Um, I'm Jess Hobbs. I'm from uh, Montreal, Quebec, up in Canada. Um, I've been shooting film most of my life. Um, yeah, I grew up with it. So it's definitely been around for, for a very long time. And um, I have a YouTube channel that um, kind of just sort of describes, I guess, like uh, my adventures in the Eastern Townships, which is the region that I live in. Um, and, you know, going to Montreal now and then and stuff. And um, it's all about film as well. And yeah. I guess that's about it. No, that's, that's, a, that's a great <laughs> intro. Yeah. What What is your format, film, brand, whatever of choice? Or are you just kind of all over the place? Um, I'm 
de- still definitely all over the place. Still trying yeah. to figure out my favorites. Uh, I definitely like shooting in 120 more. Um, I'm not sure why, because I absolutely love my SLRs, but uh, 120 for me is just my favorite format. Uh, some of my favorite films right now are Ilford HP5, Ilford Ortho Plus, and uh, Kodak Ektar. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Ektar's yeah. one of my favorites too. Yeah. I've nice. been wanting to shoot the ortho. I at least get some for the four by five. It's it's a film I've not yet tried. It's a beautiful, beautiful film. Uh, yeah. I especially love shooting it in the winter here uh, oh, yeah. because I find it has a really nice balance between the bright snowy scapes um, and it still brings in some of the deepness in the trees and, and everything. I find it has a really good balance. Some black and white films tend to be like too oh, much no. on the black and white, yeah. but uh, ortho I find has a good balance. Yeah, you know, me personally, a lot of people like high contrast films and I don't. I am mm-hmm. not a high contrast kind of guy. Like I love shadow detail, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Contrast when used properly is excellent. Yeah. Uh, for me though, like I really like films that show a, a balance of, of highs, you know, and mids. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I don't want to see like muddy blacks, like where you get that feeling. You've probably seen this before where in a single image, your whites are overblown and your darks are black, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, mm-hmm. to, I mean, and, and that there are people who, who can use that effect really really well and just not me though <laughs> in fact I, I, sorry i'm guilty of in post-processing sometimes boosting shadow details just to bring up <laughs> a little bit so i know that's heresy to to post-process film but you know shoot me it's know, funny because i'll bring in a bit of I, sorry i'll bring in a bit of contrast personally but uh, i like it i like it all Quite yeah, the opposite. Opposite. I boost up the contrast. I actually um, probably kill detail off in my, my photos. Because, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a matter of the eye of the beholder, as they say. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So what about you, Mike? What, what do you shoot or what's your um, choice? 35 or medium format, um, SLR, rangefinder. It's a pretty broad range. Um, right now I'm shooting, I uh, just got some double X pan. And I'm um, okay. playing around with that and um, HP5 uh, in medium format. And um, I bulk roll uh, right now Arista Pro, the 200 and the 100. It's cheap and um, the results are decent. And, um, you know, it lets me shoot a lot, which is um, nice on a budget. So um, right now I'm kind of sticking with those and some expired. Um, T-Max 400, which uh, is a little rough, but uh, I seem to be getting some decent results out of it. And um, so it's, there's, there's a lot. I mean, I, I, you know, sometimes I have to stand in front of the refrigerator and kind of think about it. Um, you said, you said the T-Max is rough, right? rough in the sense that your particular stocks are in bad shape or it's, it's fairly old. It, okay. um, yeah. It's probably a decade old. So wow. um yeah, um, so I have to um, compensate when I'm shooting and then compensate when I'm developing. Um, and um, But um, I got a good deal on it, so I went with it. And, um, you know, it's just one of those things. Um, I do have some um, uh, Tri-X pan ready to go in, in a 100-foot load that I'm just waiting for one of the bulk roll loaders to free up, and, um, and then I'll move on to there. So... It's, um, it's, I like the, the, uh, being able to roll my own per se for you, for lack of a better term. And, um, uh, it's, um, it gives me some flexibility 
and also keeps the cost down nice. So, you, do you tend to use more expired film or or fresh film? No, I the the T Max was just an opportunity. Um, actually, I did come into um, some uh, Plus X um, two twenty Pro Packs uh, that I got a couple months ago. Uh, I got three packs of it, so fifteen rolls of two twenty, and. Um, I think I have, let's see, my Kiev 6C uh, will handle 220. So uh, if I want to roll that stuff, that's the camera I pick up. And it seems to handle it pretty good. Um, it's a lot of fun to shoot. So um, it's a, you know, it's nice to be able to get those extra 12 exposures and, um, you know, just go with that. But that's probably the oldest. That's from 1974. So I'm really... I really have to kind of step carefully with that film. You know, one one thing that's interesting about 220, um, my experience with very old 120 is that the film itself might actually be okay, but many brands interact with the, pa the backing paper. Um, so you could have problems with like the tape falling off the from the film. But not only that, you could sometimes get ink transfer where you'll actually see uh, the exposure numbers imprinted into the film, but that's not a problem with 220 because where the film actually is, there is no backing paper. Right. So, right. In, have you found that older 220 holds up better than older 120, or is it? Too yeah. Small? I mean, I, I, I the, what I got actually was some 120 and 220, and I haven't had issues with either. Um, you know, the 220 is a little trickier to load. I'm using the Patterson reels, so I'm kind of kind of flipping it back and forth a little bit longer, but um, I haven't had any issues really with the development. Um, it's just limited in what camera can shoot. Right, yeah. So, yeah I've, got a, um, I've got a friend that just left the country for uh, an extended period of time for a job, and he knew that he wasn't going to be able to take his, his cold storage, cold stored film. So he left me with like 15 or 20 pro packs of, of Portra, VC and NC and 220. Oh wow! And oh, so I'm boy. sitting. Nice. I'm sitting on all of this this portrait 220, and I've got one creaky Yashica Mat 124 uh, that can handle it. It's the only camera I have, and it your, really... your medalist your medalist can do it. You oh, can do really? it in medalist. Yeah, you, you the medalist is only meant to go up to eight exposures. So oh. after the eighth exposure, you just reset the exposure counter manually back to one. Oh. It just keeps shooting. Right. You can actually do that on a Kiev 88, too. You could just run it up to 12 and then just keep going after yeah. that. Hi, Anthony. Oh, that's, that's my an oh, sorry. Go my, on, Yeah, my Rittrek 6x6 shoots 220, so I can swap something <laughs> for that. As long as you can't we'll, use we'll it or talk. anything. We'll, we'll talk. By the way, uh, <laughs> Cheyenne, I was just going to say that I... I I just shot that roll of uh, of Orvo NP27. Oh, that was the stuff I gave you. And oh, I have yeah, so no, it was it was it was a uh, um yeah, I shot it in the in the EXA and I I don't know how old that film was because it was just a, a loose uh, uh you know, a loose cassette uh, in a yeah. wrapper with no date on it. Uh, yeah. My guess is from the fact that it was in a completely different canister from any Orvo I've ever seen before that it had to have been uh, you know, pre um, Czech Republic. So it was like old Czechoslovakian. Um, and boy, that stuff is stiff, 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 stiff. I'm, I'm lucky I was able to get it out of the cassette. It was so thick and stiff. Yeah, my lens, I gave some film to Mike and, um, and uh, yeah, was it Mike Novak, I think? And he said the same thing. Yeah. It was really Novak. stiff. Yeah. But, uh, 
you know, it's, it's normally it's a 400 ISO film and I went ahead and shot it at 400, but uh, it wow. is, it is so, and I, and I developed it in a, in a, in a very weak rodinal and it is so grainy that it looks yeah. like, it looks like, uh, like, like photolithography. Um, I was amazed you can get something out of 400 ISO or film. That's amazing. Yeah, people look at it and they're like, "You over sharpened this on, you know, Photoshop." And I'm like, "No, that's pretty much how it came out of you the know, camera." Orvo or- is is the only brand that across the board unanimously I've never gotten good results from ever. I've tried, <laughs> I've tried 127. I've had NP55. Uh, Eric Cast Lewis sent me some Orvo that he said was good, and it yeah. just it had uh, bromide drag like crazy, like way worse than any other film I've done. The sprocket holes are making ghosts across the entire image. Um, crazy amounts of grain, like you know, not pleasing grain. I I was not a fan, so uh, I I'm I'm hoping that there's still some cash of Orvo out there that one day I'll get that I'll like. But uh, so far I've struck out a lot with that. Okay, so I. I can tell you all about Orvo, like based on Eric's photographs and lots of other people's photographs. They were shooting 35 mil. So I went on this big hunt and I was like, I planned to go from 35 mil over to 120. So I got this massive stash of 120 and the five rolls of 120 all over shot that all, it's the backing paper. It's fungus. So I'm like, I'm, I just got to keep shooting and hope some of it's okay because <laughs> I bought like a ton of this stuff. <laughs> I always figured it was just old Soviet stock with like high acid paper in the background that was just etching I, into the back. I had some that was frozen since new. I got 130 rolls. There was a guy in Dresden and his dad used to cross the border from East Germany to West Germany. And every time he did it, buy all the film because it was cheap. And he put it in the freezer and he died and the guy had a ton of it. And he said, oh, I don't know how much I want. I just bought the whole lot for 200 bucks. It was guaranteed frozen since new, um, but that obviously it didn't help the fungus issue. Yeah. Or it, well, the backing paper is something. And then, of course, I realized subsequently that with 35 mil with no backing paper, it's the backing paper that's a problem. So if you want to shoot old Orwo, go for the 35 mil, not the 120. Johnny, did did you get your sound working? I think so. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. There, there um, we go. But, you know, back to um, Mike said he uses Arista a lot. At the store, what, do you sell or is is bulk black and white something that's still sold a lot retail or like what, it, it, you know, is that people, do people still buy that retail? What, at Central? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we, we sell some bulk, but. Not, not a lot, quite honestly. I think most people buying bulk ordered online because if they're looking for the cheapest, you know, most people buying bulk are looking for the cheapest possible film. Yeah. So they're not going to buy it at retail. They're going to buy it online. That makes sense. The cheapest, you know, B&H or whatever. Um, so we, I mean, we carry it, but we don't, honestly, we don't sell a lot of it, um, you know, from, from time to time, but. Um, nice to have, be able to choose the amount of exposures that you want too. I mean, sometimes you just want a test roll or something and yeah. just knock off eight frames and shoot it and develop it quick. So, you know, I wish, yeah, I, I wish I could go back and talk to myself like years before I started developing my own film and being the combination of bulk roll and home development and just being able to like cut off a short snippet, you know, to test a camera or just, you know, measure exposure or something is, is you know a game changer? Um, I see. Oh, Jess, has, has, 
I see Anthony, you got, Anthony's got that camera where you can just snip it off inside the camera and do like the five exact shots. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, Exacto's got a razor blade. And so does a start. That's, you can do that with a start too. So you can do like two or three shots and then develop them. That's really cool. Yes, I saw you shaking your head earlier. Was that like a big game changer for you when you started doing it at home? Um, home development, yes. Uh, bulk rolling, I haven't actually done any of that yet. Okay. Um, I'm lazy. <laughs> well, you said you you like 120, so you know, yeah. really, there's no there's no bulk 120 options. No. No, I don't know. No. I don't know if we could call you lazy, Jess. I mean, you carry a Mamiya RV six or seven out there into the wilderness, so that's not someone that's lazy. You can call that's me a- lazy. I have no. I have no. I have no use for bulk loading anymore. I think yeah. it's more. I think it's more work than it's worth. Really? Really? Yeah. yeah. I can. I can roll a thirty-six exposures in about five minutes. No, it's not that. It's 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 the whole process of getting out the dark bag and the loader. Uh, I just can't be bothered. I'd rather just order it in cassettes. I mean, it's easy enough to do a snip. Yeah. It's easy enough to do a snip test off of any 35 millimeter roll. I swap rolls all the time between cameras. I just re-roll it. I mean, I'm just, I don't know. To me, it's actually, I I find it easier to do it that way than to mess with the bulk loader. I can't. I I think I have have nine bulk loaders in my refrigerator right now. Wow. So for those of you who bulk 35, do you did you purchase reloadable cassettes or do you just reuse consumer cassettes? Um, I I found uh, a box of 100 of them at a local camera store here. And um, they're um, I forget the the brand name, but they're high quality and uh, they work great. So I have a bunch of Kodak snap caps mm-hmm. and I don't yeah, like them at great. all. No, yeah, I don't like them because it, it makes it sound like you just snap the end on. And I could never like with it's weird, like with the lights on, I can get it on. But as soon as I turn the lights off, somehow my fingers aren't <laughs> able to get the end back on. Uh, but I found these bulk. They're unlabeled. They're just gray. I have no idea where they were made, but those work way better. So um, yeah, there's there's definitely and I've even seen some plastic ones, too um that that seemed to work okay too but um I, I have found that getting a good reload reusable cassette does work better um you know i mean you can reuse you know kodak gold you know just plain cassettes if you remember to leave enough of the the, the tail to be able to tape it to yeah, these don't are you the actually um cult, destroy cult yeah that's it yeah yeah these don't are you great Mike, don't you? Didn't I read somewhere that you actually destroy the cassettes when you go to process the film anyway? The way you rip them open? If, Is that you? Well, I don't do it on purpose. I tr- I do try to leave a piece of the tail out, but some cameras, like the more the newer ones, that just always rewind the leader back into the cassette. Or if I'm just being careless and I'm trying to rewind a cassette and I go too fast and I accidentally suck the leader into the cassette, I know there's tools. I've even I've extracted leaders before by licking a piece of film and shoving it in there and pulling it back out. But that to me, it's, it's a pain in the ass and I don't need that many cassettes anyway. So I just brute force open them up. So, um, I mean, I could show you guys, but it doesn't do the podcast any good since we don't save the film. But if you just jam your thumb into the light trap and just pull back, it just mm-hmm. opens really easily. You know, there's a picture of that for the, for the Instagram account afterwards. Yeah. There's, there's like a tool you can buy. It looks like a bottle opener that pops the off of, and it's like, it's the most useless 
thing you could spend your money on when you literally could just jab your thumb in there and just peel it open yourself. I mean, those, those cassettes aren't that strong. You, you should be, I think Allie was able to even do it too. She's like, yeah, you just shove your thumb in there. So I, I don't go on a mission to purposely destroy cassettes, but if the tail's in there, it's getting ripped open. The contacts aria is really nice because one of the settings, it, you can program it that it automatically leads the, the film leader out, which is pretty cool um, if I was self-developing, but I'm, I'm like Jess, I'm a bit lazy. Well, I, I did a review recently of the Minolta Talker, which was one of their cheap 80s. I remember that. Point. Well, ironically, that camera leaves the leader out when you rewind it. It's like amazing, like a cheap 1980s Minolta point and shoot had that feature. Like for all I know, it they're not supposed to do that, but they do. Every time I rewound the film, it left a little bit of the leader out. So I thought that was kind of cool. You know, I'm another camera that's that does the only it? good thing about it. <laughs> you know, another camera that does it, the Nikon L35 AF, that the okay. little compact. That, that, that does that automatically? That's or is it, it setting? Does. Yeah, I no, think it does Ma- it automatically. Minolta Maxims do that too. You can program that. Yeah. Well, and then the, the Nikon, the L35, that's the similar era to the Talker. So I don't know, maybe that yeah. was just a brief moment yeah, it's got in the history. Nice sonar, it's got the nice sonar lens on it too. That's a beautiful yeah. little compact, yeah. Yeah, that's become pretty trendy, that, that, that camera lately. It's like going for pretty crazy prices, I reckon, for what it is. But it's got a good lens, you're right, nice lens. and mm. yeah, that. yeah, you just have to be careful with the battery compartment got those, mm. one of those little rubber battery compartments that just tear off and and um if you get one that's broken you're you know you're, you're stuffed but if yeah if you get a working one they are a beautiful little compact mm. oh that's a that's a real background theo <laughs> i thought you had mike's background on there but that's like a real thing like you're not real up thing. to vlad's <laughs> standards but pretty good no, for australia nothing like yeah that. <laughs> no, no, nowhere near Vlad standard. But uh, I don't yeah. think anybody well, for, for anyone listening, um, Cheyenne's referring to my collection that's sitting in the background at the moment. Um, the, the brag uh, wall. I, the brag wall. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I do have a bunch of photographers around Sydney that are trying every time we get onto a Zoom call, trying to na- narrow down whereabouts I live, um, and they're getting close. They're starting to circle just so they can actually <laughs> find their way to my house. <laughs> uh oh. Since Mike's been on a uh, Minolta kick, I will say that with the uh, 9XI, it's the version of the Minolta that if you want to leave the film tail out when it rewinds automatically, you have to have the external card to program the camera. Oh, really? And it's the, it's the one card that I don't have. That's frustrating. Yeah, it's the stupidest thing that you could possibly imagine. That the, There's like a, a, a customization card. Uh, the one customization that you want is leave film tail out and it's the only way to get it to work. Yeah. The fact that it's capable of doing it and you just need something to unlock it just infuriates me. So, but you're right. It's like every every time you buy a camera and there's some freaking accessory you want, it's always the hardest thing to find. I often end up selling the camera and then finding the accessory later. So, you know, we have, um, you know, we've been kind of talking about, you know, bulk rolling, uh, things that have made our jobs easier, shooting expired film. Uh, but one topic that I've kind of had penciled that I think that, that I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts are on 
you know, obviously we're all sitting here shooting old cameras, you know, some are, are 30 years old, some are, are approaching a hundred years old. And, you know, we all know that with a little bit of TLC, some cleaning, you know, old cameras can still work, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we know that we can eke decades past the expiration date on, on many film stocks like, you know, Triax and, and, and Panax and these old Orvo films that haven't been made in a long time. But, you know, what's, what is this hobby going to look like 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 50 years from now, you know, uh, in addition to all of the cameras that we already have continuing to get older and film stocks continuing to get depleted, you know, and completely disappearing. Um, there was that announcement about a month or so ago that that Kickstarter reflex camera, the one that had the interchangeable lens mounts, they, yeah. they, bas they basically gave up on it because yeah. they just, they can't source the parts, you know, um, no one's making shutters anymore, you know? Yeah. Fake Yashica, you know, is making those cheap plastic point and shoot, you know, where it's a plastic shutter with like a spring, you know, or something, but, but it's not a real shutter, you know, no one makes the copal square anymore. No one's making cloth horizontally traveling shutters anymore. So, you know, we're in a hobby that we're all having fun with, but you know, th there aren't new cameras being made, you know, there will be a point where most yeah. of these models don't work and we may not be able to get film anymore. So, uh, Cheyenne, I guess we'll start with you. Like, okay, I can, I, yeah, I can, I can, I can really answer this. With a, like as Johnny knows, I collect everything and I have big files and stuff. And he's like, yeah, I can go through Google myself, but some of them are useful. But the thing that I've collected is because I'm buying and selling and old cameras and, and I've collected like, if I come across somebody who can repair a camera, I put it in a file. I've got a huge big file of camera repair people. And the thing that, um, like Eric Kass-Suisse in the Netherlands, like he's got contact cameras, and that's a perfect illustration of what's going to happen in 10 years' time. So right now there's probably three or four, possibly five people in the whole world that can properly service contact rangefinder cameras. There, it's incredibly hard to get people who are skilled in repairing them. In terms of like general across the board, ordinary garden variety camera repair people, the old guys are dying. Like, right. In, and they're not passing Australia. on. They're not passing no. it on to a newer generation. No. And the only examples I know, which I can give you really good examples, is um, the guy in London, I've used him to repair two cameras, um, Paolo, who runs PPP Camera Repair. So he's a young guy but he's teaching himself and learning through the internet and contacting people, camera repair. And he repaired my super bold axe and he did a fantastic job on that. Amazing. Um, he's uh, repaired a couple of other cameras and he's done some, like he's doing contacts to T2 and T3 repairs, which almost nobody in the world wants to touch. So that kind of illustrates what's going to happen in 10 years. There'll be people like Paolo, and there's a young guy in Melbourne um, that repairs SX-70s who taught himself. So in 10 years' time, if you've got a, like a nice mid-range camera or even a folder because they're a bit simpler, you'll be able to get people to repair them. But, but in 10 years' time, it's going to be a generation and all the old people will be dead in 10 years' time. There won't be any old-school guys. If you're really lucky... There might be half a dozen of them left by that stage. So if you want to collect old cameras and shoot them, not just put them on shelves to collect dust, um, 
you really need to find out some good camera people now and invest in getting them repaired because in 10 years' time, the really nice, expensive uh, cameras like, you know, the early rangefinder cameras like the Nikons, the Contax or early SLRs or nice 120 folders, if they're in working condition like a Zeiss Iconta, um, in 10 years' time they're going to be worth their weight in gold. They'll go up in value because you literally won't be able to find somebody to repair them. If, if they're not working, they'll be a paperweight. So I think so, that, yeah, that's, so, my, that's my 10 cents. So, Mike, you know, I mean, so, you know, obviously we know that the older repair generation, and, and, and that wasn't a criticism. Like, I didn't mean it to sound like they're not training new people. It's that there aren't new people to train. Uh, but, you know, are, do you think, Mike, we're already at that point with, like, the electronic era? Like, if, if you were to visualize a timeline from, like, the 1900s, 1950s, 2000, is that era from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s already almost dead, or an electronic cannon or something? Well, um, I mean, it's a, it's a good question. It's, it's a little kind of depressing, but, um, um, you know, it, it's interesting because, you know, if you follow um, the camera pair Facebook group, um, those guys will tear into anything. And you okay. know they have they have some kind of electric Minolta opened up, and I'm looking at it thinking, how in the world is that going back together, and how is it going to work again? But um, you know these those guys are really kind of forcing themselves to learn the craft. So potentially, you know those cameras might live on. Okay. Um, the mechanical stuff, you know, I mean, I mean, I'll I'll, I'll take anything apart. Pretty much, um, and and see if I can figure out how to put it back together again. Um, and it's one of the things that I enjoy doing is to take a camera that's not worth a lot. If it's not working, see if I can get it working again. Um, and it may be just about um, you know perseverance and trying to think about you know your camera in terms of what you can do to keep it going. Um, it isn't so much the I don't think it's so much the the equipment. I think my concern is the film. The, the, there's no right. question about it. Um, you know, I listen to those to the guys on the um, classic camera revival who are film crazy. I mean, those guys are like bonkers over the the specific emulsions and things like that. And, That's Alex Lakes, right? Right, right. Yeah, Alex and, is. Um, it's, if he's great, I I really, yeah, really they're, like him. They're a little they're a little Nikon crazy, but that's besides the point. Um, <laughs> Um, they, they talk about these film stocks and, you know, they they essentially report on the ones that are gone and the list is getting longer. And, you know, you have to wonder, um, at what point are we going to be looking at a bunch of cameras and nothing to put in them? And, um, you know, and then do they just become models for our photographs for, you know, camera porn on Facebook? Yeah, because, I mean, you bring up a good point. You know, we might still be able to find a new generation of people to fix stuff. But if there's no film to shoot them on, you know, then we end up with a bunch of Polaroid land cameras that are fantastic devices, but just don't work anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, Fuji has made it very clear that they, they don't really the money's not in film. You know what what film Fuji still makes? It's probably because it's more money to stop producing it than it is to keep making it. Um, you yeah, know. yeah. I mean, there yeah, are yeah. There, right. There are independents. There's Kickstarter campaigns for new emulsions. You know, Stephen Dowling, uh, Downing with um, Cosmo. Uh, Cosmo. Um, 
you know, those are really good things. And, you know, I think you can put your faith in Ilford a little bit because they seem to be focused on education, which is yeah. a really nice thing. They're the um, opposite of Fuji. Yeah. So potentially, you know, we could see um, film being around, you know, for, it, for a while. Could it be like, like vinyl records, you know, like there's actually new places minting, I don't know if he called minting, pressing, pressing vinyl awesome. records. But, you know, back in the day when a record would cost five, ten dollars, now you're charging 30 to 40 dollars sometimes for double set. And well, they're being made in very small batches. So yep. will will film be made by boutique manufacturers at, at just a much higher cost? I believe so. I mean, we're already seeing it. Um, you know, you see Sinistil repackaging stuff and and presenting it as a, a new release and you know uh, but are, are those sinistil still films like actual real emulsions or are they just rebadging they're just re for the most part the boutique they're reworking stuff is, and then is reworked and repackaged yeah. and, but know. it is it is still physically new though right yes right okay but, they, but, they, but they're running it through a process to remove right. the rim jet i see right. i see and you know cosmo it's it's great packaging but it, essentially it's rebranded um isn't it fomo pan I think, mm -hmm. yes. and um, you know, the so 100 the is, but he hasn't revealed yeah. or no one has figured out who the 400 is yet. Right. Anthony, and, Anthony got a chance to shoot it, right? The secret I, was, agent I, was one the, I was one of the beta testers for Agent Shadow. Agent Shadow. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Not FOMA. Oh, it's not. It's not. Oh, OK. If, if I can be a bit of a contrarian here, um, you know, when I there's a point back in the 80s when I became obsessed with like the early days of photography and sort of pre-commercialized photography. And I was doing Van Dyke printing and uh, photolithography and doing a lot of work with mixing my own emulsions and platinum and palladium printing. Uh, never did wet plate, but what I was, I was, I was like making my own negatives with out of rice paper doing homemade cameras. And if you ask me where the future is, the most exciting new work that I've seen are uh, a, a whole bunch of women who are going back and going to things like starting with cyanotype, but then moving on to other alternative processes and sort of bypassing the notion that we have to buy into uh, film and the way that it has been for the last 50 years, going back to these old processes, you know, and if, if that merges with like, uh, like last week we had the, uh, the homemade camera podcast guy on, um, you know, I think that, that there's going to be a mixture of people that are looking back to these older, uh, like make your own emulsion techniques and hacking cameras together. And that, you know, the drive to make photographs is going to continue. It may not continue as we know it now, uh, but who knows, maybe it'll just restart because at some point, if people are making fantastic artwork that has value as art, uh, that the cameras will follow. You know, some of the, you look back to the early, those cameras from that early transition from 100 years ago or 130 years ago um, were fairly simple devices. You know, I mean, a brownie yeah. box, you can still, I mean, it wouldn't be that difficult to make a brownie box. Yes. Would it be as satisfying as making a uh, an FM2? No, but no. it's a way to start to get back to producing new product. That, and, you know, I think that that is an interesting possibility that excites me. Uh, because like I said, the, the work that I'm seeing from women working in, in wet plate, working in alternative uh, process photography, um, they're really inventive work. And uh, I think that um, I think that there's something to be um, said for going back to what was old 
um, like old, old to be able to move forward. Jess, what does your crystal ball look like? Um, I think maybe I'm still kind of on the idealistic, optimistic side, and I'm hoping that film sticks around yeah. for a very long time. Uh, I do get really excited when I see people, um, maybe not so much creating new cameras, but kind of taking some uh, some more like obsolete, um, maybe not obsolete either, but like stuff that people don't like as much and remaking it into a new camera. Like um, I've got this one camera that I call the press pan that was made by um, a guy in Calgary where he machined out uh, a broken Nikon FE body and mounted a 50 millimeter Mamiya press lens. And now I can shoot panoramic format in it. Um, And, you know, Mamiya press, that system was really great for Polaroids and kind of a pain in the butt for shooting like regular film, I find. So being able to take those really amazing optics uh, with the shutters built into the lenses and putting them onto new uh, or onto old or new or whatever cameras is actually kind of neat. And um, I actually write for Dora Goodman cameras who makes 3D printed uh, medium format bodies kind of along the same idea. So you can pop on an RB67 back and a Mamiya press lens and you, you can keep shooting, you know, so as long as the film stays around, I think cameras will always be there, whether it's what we know now or something brand new later on. Uh, I don't know what that looks like exactly, but yeah, I think as long as the film sticks around, we're going to be okay. So, that, 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 Tora Goodman's camera though, that, that, that's intriguing, um, that 3D printed medium format thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, I remember when she started just doing skins. She was reskinning cameras. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, that's right. She's gone. She's gone so far from there. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. So, Jeff, uh, for anybody not familiar, can you describe the Dora Goodman camera just a little bit more, like in detail? Yeah. So she there's a there's like a couple uh, models. They have a pinhole model um, in 120 and also in 35 millimeter panoramic. Uh, I currently have the 120 model. Um, and as far as pinhole cameras go, I mean they're not exactly like super complicated things but it's really fun to shoot with um it's got a shutter held in by magnets so you can open it easily and close it easily um there's less camera shake compared to some models where it's like this wooden lever that lifts (laughs) and stuff um uh and so that camera is a lot of fun to use uh and so the main the main camera that she has right now though is called the zone and so it kind of just looks like this little cube that you pack on your RB67 back. Um, she also makes a six by six back that you can have as well. Um, and then you pop pretty much, I mean, any Mamiya press lens will work for sure. And then there's also a long list of other lenses that can be compatible. Like um, there's like the, Sh- the Schneider Krushnaks and, and stuff like that. Uh, and they just released a 612 camera. Wow. Uh, so again, oh, cool. you can mount those Mamiya press lenses or the Schneider lenses and uh, shoot in 612 medium format panoramic. I, I want to point out that this is the seventh episode of the Camera podcast, and we have officially talked about panoramic cameras in every single episode. So, <laughs> all right. Yay, baby. Yay. <laughs> so real quick, that, that FE you said that's hacked, um, yeah. how wide of images does that shoot? Do you know? <laughs> Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. I think it's 24 by 69. Wow. So it's like X-Pan, basically. It's just a smidge wider. Pretty than, sp- uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. 
Like, I think it's like maybe like three or four millimeters. Yeah, wider, I think but... I think the X-Pan is 65. I think yes. So. yes, 65, yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. I could, I could read MikeEckman.com to find out for sure, but, you know, my, my brain has a finite amount of things like, <laughs> that it can hold. No, it's a I verb, think. Mike. You, you Ekman it. When you, it's like, you know, you don't Google it. You Ekman it when you're looking for cameras. I, I will admit it. It has come in handy for myself. Like, I actually will Google my last name and then a camera I knew I wrote. And it's faster for me to find it that way than it is to search my own site. <laughs> What's that say about your website, Mike? I need a better search engine. Yeah. I mean, indexing that site is, is something that like, I, I think I've hit that point. I should probably talk to someone who knows more about WordPress than I do. Um, Cause you know, I have a fairly decent indexing uh, thing, but apart from just using the search function, it can be difficult to find stuff that I know I've written about. Uh, or anybody I think, with, or yeah, I anybody think with any brains it. just Ekman's it. Like Ekman Ekman's it. It's funny because um, a couple collectors that I talked to, and it may have even been one of you guys, I don't even remember, but people were like, has anybody, you know, I'm looking for information about something. I'm like, you could just look at my site. I have a review for that. And they're like, oh, I didn't even think to check, you know? Everything. Anything that I've picked up, I've looked, and it seems to be on your site. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Yeah, except, except for photography. Love you, Mike. Great camera reviews. Photography, not your great. Greatest skill. <laughs> hey, I'm, I will never deny you, that. I'll never deny that. I did just count. Um, I, I can't give you the exact number, but it, I, I'm coming close to 320 reviews. And I just, I think of how many different wow. models that is to how much time I must have spent in that is, uh, it's even mind boggling for me, but I still have plenty more. So, so you should be a rich YouTuber by now. No, there's no money in that. So, I, you, so, go ahead, Anthony. Well, I, uh, I understand that you you recently visited um, a, a collection somewhere yeah. in the U.S. That I'm wondering, do you have like the next 1,000 cameras lined up? Um, oh my gosh, uh, yeah i I got a chance to visit a collector uh, a week and a half ago, and uh, l- let me tell you, I got I got there at about five o'clock in the afternoon, uh, maybe 10, 15 minutes of hello you know, grabbing a beer or something. Uh, at one point, you know, we sat down for maybe 30 minutes to eat pizza, you know, or something for dinner. Um, but I left his house at 1130 at night. Um, so from about five o'clock to 1130, nonstop cameras, and I didn't see everything. Um, just, you know, like, I, I left and, and he laughed because you haven't picked up a single Leica. And I was like, yeah, when the Leicas are the least interesting cameras in a collection, you know, you've got, I mean, prototype, like there was a whole, a whole like China cabinet where every single thing in it was either prototypes, one-offs or like modified cameras or like someone, you know, like, like you were saying, Jess, where they kind of like hacked two different kinds of formats together that shouldn't exist. You know, um, he, he had a whole cabinet of like those hit type cameras, the little tiny ones. And you know how tiny those things are. So there was probably 200 of those in this little cabinet. Um, I mean, you name it. Like I held an Ilford Witness. I held- oh, I saw you. Right, I saw oh, that picture. Yeah. I, I held two of those little Swiss Compass cameras. Um, oh, and the, that's so cool. And, and this collector, he, um, he does not keep duplicates. Like the only time he has the same camera twice is if one's like rebadged, you know? So it's like a different name. So he had two compasses, and the only reason he had two of them is because one of them, the, the focusing scale was in feet, and the other one was in meters, you know? And I mean, and like, 
sounds like Vlad. Well, Vlad has an impressive. Vlad wins. I will give him this. Vlad wins on presentation. But um, he's, I mean, the differences in the camera. Oh, right. Yeah, I see what you mean. Are yeah, so he, minute. I mean, yeah, he he gets into a lot of like variances, you know, in a particular model. But mm -hmm. but this particular collection, there were very very few, um, uh, you know, cameras that were exactly the same. Uh, there were whole subsets, and, and we're talking like no electronic cameras. There were no EOSs or Maxims or any point and shoots at all. Um, there were very very few um, folding cameras. You know, like six by nine, the old Kodak folders, the old Agfa, you know, stuff like that. He had almost no retinas. He had a Retina one seventeen and uh, the very last Retina, the the Reflex four. Um, but so, you know, it's so a critical question. Sure. Critical question: How many cameras did you leave with? None. <laughs> did you get a loner? No. One? Uh, Come no, on. No loners. Uh, I. It was. It was a privilege to be able to see such an impressive collection. Um, I did bring my digital camera, so I was able to photograph a few of them. But I mean, we're, we're talking like. It, it would be like going into Jay Leno's garage and him saying, which one of these cars do you want to test drive? You know, like there's only so much time to do this. So like I, at, at some point, so which, I just, which, start, was the, which was the one you would have taken for a test drive. What um, did you I, have it? You drooled over and you got, I want to run a roll of film through that. Ironically, it was a contacts one. Um, I've, I've really? never ever held the original contacts one. And I've, I'm guilty of thinking of them as unreliable, poor ergonomic pieces of junk. But after holding one that worked, um, I really, really liked it. I love how the front shutters, it, it, it actually cocks the shutter with the big knob on the front. Um, you know, Johnny knows I'm a huge fan of the Argus C3, so I must have this predication for brick-like cameras. And the original <laughs> Universal talks like that as well. Yeah, I, I really, for some reason, was really, really oh, yeah. drawn to um the context one i i did have loaded with me my my nikon s2 um i had brought with um a wide angle the the three the 3.5 centimeter f25 uh but he had not only um the nikkor 50 millimeter five centimeter the f11 lens he also had a 50 millimeter f11 Zunow, Z-U-N-O-W. Oh, oh, nice. In, in contacts mount. Um, oh, wow. How many of those? That must be really he, rare. He had he had two of those lenses, one with the contacts Nikon mount and the other one with the um, Leica thread mount. Um, and the Leica thread mount was mounted to a camera called the Melcon 2, which was a, a very, very short-lived Japanese camera that looks exactly like a Nikon rangefinder, but it has a screw mount. Um, you know, very, very nice camera, but incredibly rare. I, in fact, when I got home, I sent pictures of it to Bob Rodoloni and said, Hey, Bob, have you ever seen one of these? And he's like, I've only held one once in Japan ever. He's like, where the hell did you see that? You know, but where, where I'm going with this is I had my, my Nikon already loaded with some film. So I quickly mounted uh, both of those lenses and I ran to his bathroom and took bathroom selfie pictures. He's like, don't get pictures. From, don't get the toilet in the picture. And I was like, don't worry. <laughs> you won't see your toilet. Um, but I, you know, I mean, not, I, I, I don't want this to come off as bragging, but I mean, the gas, uh, the, you know, it was just phenomenal. So many rare cameras. There's so many things I wanted to remember, like to, to look up when I got home, I just completely forgot about so many things because there were so many cool cameras. You know, the prototypes I really, really like because some of them, 
like you can always tell a homemade like Franken camera where someone like took like a wooden box and mounted like a like a compor lens or something on it. But some of these like actually look like fairly complete cameras. Like maybe it was somebody had, had built something as a proof of concept to, to go into mass production, but you know, for one reason or another didn't. But um, yeah, I, I don't expect to ever see a collection that complete again. It was it was really, really cool. Uh, but I will have a couple articles. Um, I'll finally be able to do a review. I, I've been wanting to do something about a Hansa Canon uh, for a long time and, and getting a hold of one is, is really, really tough. But now I can say I, I did hold one uh, and I was able to get enough pictures of one to be able to do an article on one of those. So that'll be coming up eventually. But I got a few articles I, I'll be able to make out of this this. Uh, this visit, but unfortunately, no Cheyenne. I did not walk out. My, my, I joked that his floor is pressure sensitive, and if I weigh more leaving the building than I did coming in, an alarm would go off. So, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, that compass could easily fall in my pocket. I reckon. I'd actually be interested. Um, we we talked about your RB sixty seven before, Jess, but you did a bit of Polaroid. You had an adapter that you threw on there, which shot actual cartridge polaroid pictures you peel apart uh, polaroid you mean no 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 not the peel apart this is the the actual um, oh, in, they call it integral yeah integral yeah. that's the word integral. I was looking for. Yeah. Yes. yeah yeah so yeah. i was a bit of a polaroid not beg your pardon <laughs> go yeah, ahead jess um for for the rb um what i had originally seen was the company i think i can't remember where they were based out of um but they were called Reservat. I think they were out of Thailand or Hong Kong or something. I, I can't remember right now. Um, but uh, they were making these backs out of, uh, it was like injection molded plastic. Um, and you can shoot integral Polaroids on the RB67, which I thought was really, really neat because you can't find the peel apart film anymore. And with the peel apart too, it used to leave like, lines down the sides like it didn't fill the full frame whereas with uh, the integral film it just leaves a thin black border around each frame so that actually kind of gives it a sort of cool little look to it um, and I did a video for my YouTube channel using that uh, back and so many people were really really excited about it I was not expecting that video to do anything most people see my Polaroid week stuff and they're like yeah okay whatever it's Polaroid and that one like exploded and people wanted that back and i was like oh no it doesn't exist anymore i got like the last run and i felt so guilty about it because i'm like i'm inducing gas in people and they can't even like find it themselves so i scoured the internet and found this guy in washington dc who makes uh 3d printed same same or similar design to what the reservoir one was except 3d printed and it works exactly the same. It mounts exactly the same uh, and it acts exactly the same. So it's basically like now I have two Polaroid backs, which is really, really amazing. And so I got to do a video th this time using that one saying this still exists, people. <laughs> you can actually buy this one now. Um, well, just, yeah, just by them. the way, you know that Doc Caps, who started yes. the Impossible Project and he's in Austria, he's making new peel apart film. Yes, like, um, yeah. it's, it's the one yeah, instance, no, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> that's, 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 that's the actual film, like peel apart film. 
Yeah, I, I've no, tried that one. I've, I've tried that. It's 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 horrible. <laughs> okay. Is that is that the stuff that you get one shot per cartridge? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I did look into that. The results were, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I haven't been able to get a decent result out of it. That's sad. At least you tried. Well, I, I yeah, hate no, to, no, I look hate- I- I hate to rehash what we talked about in a previous podcast, but Johnny, didn't you say that Instax is like the last remnants of that technology? Instax is Polaroid. Yeah, but I mean that simple. Instax correct. is Polaroid. It is it, actually, Instax, actually better. Instax Fuji made Polaroid's film for the Asia market. It it, it yep. is Polaroid. So it is still yep. within Fuji's capability to bring back a quality instant film. They just choose not to, right? Well, no, they Instax is probably the most profitable film line in the world right now but what i meant let me ask the question differently they could reignite like sx70 film uh or peel apart they just choose not to i mean they don't sell the cameras so why would they yeah right yeah i mean that's That's, i mean no really that's how that's how fuji looks at it it's just dollars and cents if you can their annual reports are on the web you can go back to 2011 they were talking about phasing out film well it's I want to. They're, they're, embar- they're embarrassed by the success of Instax Film. Like they just had no idea it was going to be successful. With Bellamy Hunt and myself and a few other guys, when they were going to get rid of FP100, we contacted them. They just completely blew us off. Like they just weren't interested in film. And in their Johnny's right in their annual report, that actually came out and said they wanted to get rid of it entirely. And then Instax completely blew up. And now they can't get rid of it because it's just so freaking profitable. But if well, it wasn't, they would flick it and get rid of it all. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna take a cue from Jess and I'm gonna hope and I'm gonna be optimistic that maybe Fuji, some new executive will come in and either reignite it or or maybe sell the rights to make it to somebody else. Like I, to me, that's of of the least likely things to happen, that's the most <laughs> likely of the least likely is that they just sell it. No, yeah, I, but what's interesting know, if you look at if you look at what Lomography is doing with that um, Graflox back now with the, yeah, that's with the cool. Instax wide, that is really, really interesting. I want to get it um, for my um, um, Chroma uh, snapshot. Well, you know what uh, that would be good with? One of the old Razzle cameras. You know, the, they, that Razzle guy in Australia took the folding Polaroid 110 and he put yeah. a 4 by 5 back on it. So if you get that camera with that Instax back, that would be a handheld um, in stacks with a really good lens, but but you see, I'd be really interested even because they do the Graflox back, but it's a different Graflox back on the RB67 because that's that's one of my mm-hmm. favorite cameras as well, which I think I'm blocking it off there. It's right behind me over here. <laughs> is um is actually a um is, if they could get a Instax wide on an RB67 back, I would be one of the happiest people in the world because you'd get a quality. <laughs> Instax wide picture coming out of a, a camera that you've got absolute full control of. Now how big how big are the Instax wides? Are they six by seven or they're pretty close, right? They're pretty close, I think. Yeah. I'm not sure the exact dimensions though. I mean, it might the even film, be six like... by eight, actually. Because I think six it's yeah, I think yeah. it's a little little longer than it is wider. Yeah. 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 So you will end up with a little bit, mind you. The RB67 can shoot six by eight because there is a yeah. six by eight back you can get for it. Yeah. So for me, that w- that would be the ultimate. And with, you know, they don't necessarily need to go back to peel apart if that's the case. If they can produce Instax in those kind no. of formats and those kind of backs, that, that would be superb. 
No, I was I was with um, dealing with Doc Caps and a few other people, and they were trying because I had already got the contacts from Bellamy with Fuji, and he speaks Japanese. And Doc Caps offered to buy the peel apart machines, and they completely refused, and they scrapped them deliberately. So all, Fuji, the peel apart machines were all deliberately destroyed by Fuji. They even refused to sell them. Not at any price. They didn't want anybody having Terrible. the ability it's, to make it. it, it Fuji is all about copyright. I mean, they're yeah. all about yeah. their patents, which is why part of the reason the film film is still alive is yeah. they they're. I mean, they actively are protecting their patents by making film because they use so much, so many of those technologies and other products that they make, like cosmetics. Believe it or not, um, yeah. that's a main motivator for them to keep making film. So you know. As long as they keep viewing it as a, a business decision, maybe it actually stays around, oddly enough. So we should all uh, start getting some eyeliner and, and some foundations <laughs> right. to support our hobby. I've been meaning to talk to you about that, Mike. <laughs> my, oh gop, my, my gop That's years a, are over. I've got a bad mental picture then. <laughs> so so let's let's transition to gear uh we we didn't get a chance to do this in the last episode has anybody gotten anything new recently that that they want to share let's start with mike uh, yeah, go. let's have yeah. mike go first let's see i got uh two things that i'd love to talk about the uh ansco mark m yes i love that camera. this is a wonderful camera i love this camera and uh raymond lowry designed and uh, i was fortunate i got the whole kit all three lens including the 1.9 so um it's a great great range finder and i mean it, it really is and, did you uh, did you ekman it before you bought it um <laughs> to tell you the truth i was on a rico kick and i was looking for a 999 uh-huh and, mike, uh, mike I, novak has the only one yeah that, that i know exists. he does i know he does i know he does we talked about <laughs> that online um and um, and then I, I, I realized the Ansco Mark M was uh, essentially the same camera. And yeah. I, one popped up one day and um, I nabbed it. So um, very happy with that. But the um, the real the real addition that I want to bring up is my uh, Top Gun Super DM, which um, is right oh, there. Oh yeah, nice. in black too. I, I, I nice. love big cameras. I love big, heavy cameras, and this one is a monster. It really is. And and, um, and, you, and you got the good fifty with it. I got the one point four. Yep. Um. Uh. uh said that, and, and Anthony commented, and um. Yeah, it's it's a great camera. I love it, and um, that, really happy. Is that the equivalent it. of the RE? Is that similar? This to is the, the this is the DM. This is the super DM, and the RE is uh, this one. So, so what are the differences between the Super DM and the RE Super? That, that's um, what I was... The Super DM has capability, really capability for the motor. Um, the RE's people, they need to be modified. Um, factory right. modified. Okay. Motor. Um, there's a, a window for seeing the F-stop, uh, mirror lockup, and um, just, it's black. It's black, uh, yeah. yeah. So, so, so Michael, I... Uh, I had my Super D completely overhauled, and I found a guy up in Michigan who had been the uh, Topcon warranty service guy back in the in the '60s. And when the distributor got out of the film business with Topcon, he ended up with all the parts. Is that Dave's so camera repair? It is in Chelsea, Michigan. Well, that's good to know, actually. So if you need any work done on your Topcon, he is the man. He 
uh, he took mine and basically built it up as a new camera from scratch. Um, it's, it's nice to know there. Fortunately, these are all um, operating properly, including the meters. Um, yeah. So that's uh, and for nice. anybody and for anybody who's never used one of those uh, RE and later top cons, you know, they went head to head with the Nikon F um, and, and, and I won't argue the merits between the two, but one thing the top con did better was by putting the meter in the body you oh get God. you get that meter display even like even if you shoot it at waist level you know i mean you, you don't get that with the nikon even even the f2s you know the meters are always in the finder but the, but topcon did that right away and that was <laughs> to me that was a huge i mean in addition to them being smooth as hell you know well built having excellent lenses oh, pretty much God. to be honest with you the only i shouldn't say the only the worst thing about that camera is that it uses the exact amount you know, mm -hmm. I, I, well, I have a whole bunch of exacta. So that, um, yeah, I, I know, <laughs> but it did. I think it did limit them. I it think limited, that's it, yeah. it did. It was an it, odd choice. Well, you can get the, you can get the, um, the casino copy. They copied that and they made the Bessaflex TM thread mount. Uh, that was made, I think 2002, 2004. So it looks almost exactly the same, except it's M42 mount. And they made a special 58 millimeter F1.0 one lens like a collector copy to go with it the lens is great the camera not so great but so it like, looks almost exactly the same what about you cheyenne what's new in your stable i haven't bought a lot of cameras lately uh i've been working crazy hours i've been working like 70 80 hours a week um we're not in covid lockdown the rest of australia practically is but um uh, I haven't had a lot of time for hunting and I've actually got cameras that I've had repaired that I need to shoot. So currently, like I'm shooting my, sorry, my camera cannot get it to work, but I'm shooting my Boulder Super Bold Axe, which I love that camera. God, that's such a nice camera. It's got the F2.8 and a lens and I'm shooting Cinestill Double X. So that's the N120. And I've got mounted on it, which is a new thing I bought. I, my first Kickstarter, I got the Hedeco Lime um, little um, modern meter. It fits straight in the cold shoe and it works amazing. It just totally goes with the look of all my 1950s cameras and it makes it into like a digital light meter. So it's, cool. it's, it's, it's perfect. I thoroughly recommend that. It's Hedeco.co. There's a website Hedeco. and there's a load of those little ones but the one the reason i bought this one is it's got brushed aluminium casing so it's not all plastic the inside's 3d printed but the casing looks like a like a metal 1950s camera so it fits in with any rangefinder slr kind of 1950s up to 70s camera and it works really great you can shoot aperture or um shutter priority with it as well and i shoot aperture priority so i can kind of do sunny 16 in my head I can look at that and boom, I nail the shot, and it's brilliant. There's um, Jess, you, you're you're the only Canadian here, um, so I'm gonna <laughs> assume you know everything about your country. There's a Canadian company that makes those clip-on meters too, isn't there? I well, there's uh, Raveni. Raveni, that's, that's it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. He he does the um, the hot shoe meters, and recently released a spot meter as well. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. Now, 
what about you? Do you have any new new gear or, or film stocks or anything cool? <laughs> I haven't stopped by like the pandemic hit <laughs> and I just put all my money into cameras and film. Uh -oh. It's crazy. Um, <laughs> but luckily we have a lot of thrift stores around here. So I just picked up uh, like a couple days ago. Uh, an Olympus uh, Stylus Epic Deluxe for $3.99. Wow. Yeah, three dollars like <laughs> That's like a meme. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh I'm gonna be running a test roll. So far the batter with the battery it works. Uh I had picked up a black Mewtwo uh not too long ago, like a few months ago as well, at the same thrift store for $4.99. So uh and I had found a Topcon RE Super for $40 at oh. that. Yeah, at Sweet. that place. Wow. Did it have a lens? Yeah. Yes, it did. And I still have to develop my test roll from it, but uh, it felt so smooth that yeah. I have really high hopes for that, uh, yeah. for that camera. Well, the, the, the optics of it will not disappoint. You know, if, oh. if there's yeah. going to be a problem, it, it would be the mechanics of the body, yeah. but the, you won't be disappointed with the optics. And even the one eight fifty is a great lens. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, yeah. Nothing wrong, there's nothing bad with the, with the 518. Yeah, that's the one that it came with. Um, and I did notice that uh, even with because I, I have the battery adapter, the MR9 adapters, um, because I have a bunch of cameras like the Canon F1 takes it, the uh, OM1 takes it, the 35RC takes it. So I've got all those. Um, and so I popped in the um, the adapter and the meter was working fine for a while. And then it seemed to kind of conk out even with a new battery. So I'm like, OK, there might be some work to have done there but uh depending we'll on which see. depending on which battery you're using you just might need to keep putting new ones in because yeah know, and, some, and some of those adapters that are made in china are really crappy as well yeah the, yeah. Yeah, yeah like yeah just buy a different one from a different supplier because some of them they just uh made like crap yeah and some of them yeah. are really good there's a high yeah. probability it's just the battery is it, the battery probably still has 80 percent of its charge but it's just not enough to power the camera anymore. Well, when meter, I popped I should it, say. yeah, when I popped it back into my OM one, it was working fine. Was that? So okay. yeah, so I do have, I do think it might be that. Um, maybe the the adapter didn't quite fit as well because it's not just an adapter; it reduces the voltage as well. Mm -hmm, um, right. I made sure to spend the extra money for for one of those because I I just don't want to have to worry about batteries. I no, hate batteries. I don't blame you. <laughs> That's why I love the RB67 so much because I hate yeah. batteries. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's what I noticed with that camera. But I, I still have high hopes that even if the meter doesn't work, the rest of it's perfectly fine. Uh, it doesn't bother me. I'll just shoot with a handheld meter anyways. Um, yeah. Oh, and I picked up a Leica 3A that uh, I'm going to be having serviced as well. Um and I'm going to be buying, I'm actually going a little rogue here. I'm going to be buying a Jupiter 8 lens to put on it uh, just for ah. like a totally different experience. Mm. Uh, it's a lens I've wanted for a while. So I really can't wait for that. And for my birthday, I got a Zenit C. <laughs> which wow. is, I just ran a test roll through and I misloaded it. <laughs> <laughs> oh geez yeah so i ran the test roll and it didn't take a single shot oh boy yeah well you know what though that's a feature of the zeniths yes they, they encourage you to to master your shots over and over and over again and exactly. maybe maybe they'll grant you permission to actually see one of that's your that's a images. nice camera that is yeah nice. they are nice yeah, yeah. 
I love the viewfinder. Like it's so weird because it's completely different from any viewfinder I've ever had. First, very dim if you're not wide open. Um, but it also almost looks cinematic. Like I want to shoot color it, film. Through it looks this like because... a, to me, it looks like you're looking at an old CRT television. Yeah. Kinda. Yeah. It's exactly. got the curved edges to it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, so that's, that's really cool. Too. So a, a good transition from Zenith is to ask Johnny, have you got anything new? Um, yeah, but it's definitely not a Zenith. <laughs> Ooh, Ooh, sexy. What is, yeah. what is it? What is that? Say what it is. It's a Fujifilm uh, GA645ZI, which is a camera that I, I wanted way back in the day. Um, and, you know, didn't buy it because I thought it was sort of impractical. Um, but at this point in the game, uh, a friend of mine had one and he was looking to sell it. And I knew he was going to sell it and I knew I wasn't going to get a chance to buy one and buy it. So I bought it from him and he gave me a really good price on it. Awesome. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I've wanted one of these for forever and ever, never actually wanted the GA 645i, the, the, um, you know, the wide angle. Uh, but I don't know. It's, it's just for what, for what it is, they're just, um, I mean, it's point and shoot 120, you know? You know, yeah. I felt I felt that exact same way. I borrowed one from Kurt and, and I loved it. I mean, when I was using, I was like, this is really cool. But then by the end of that first roll, like I didn't have this feeling to want to load it up again, you know, because yeah. it almost took like all the fun out of shooting medium form. It was so good. It just it <laughs> right. took away the fun. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, it's, it's, I, it's like you could shoot, you know, any number of autofocus you could shoot a Nikon F6, let's just say. And you're yeah, that, great see, I would, I would never shoot a Nikon F6. But what I meant, what I, meant I know like, what you're saying. Yeah, it, it just took the fun out of it. It's like, all right, I'm never going to do that again. Uh, to me, that would be the most unfun camera ever to shoot. So, <laughs> yeah, I, can, I, know what you, I know what you're saying. Yeah. But I mean, I, you know, so 645, I think, is the perfect use of 120 film. Um, and I, I don't think you know, it gets much more simple than this. And at this point, I, 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 simple is fine for me. If yeah. I want complicated, I have plenty of cameras that can do that. Yeah. The thing I struggle with 645 is they're nearly always, always like portrait. portrait. Yeah. 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 Which, and like medium yeah. format 645, you want it in landscape. Yeah. And that's, that's, some of them like, yeah. I mean, it's really easy. You just turn yeah. the camera. Yeah. So, folks, I, I um, I'm sorry, I, I, I have to to duck out. I have school tomorrow, so no problem, Mike. Hey, real quick before you go, do you want to? Is there any way people can get a hold of you? Do you have a website or anything? Uh, do I have a website? Um, well, uh, my wife and I have a band, so you can contact <laughs> us at thevelvetsirens.com, um, and uh, you can check me out at uh, Ohio State University. I'm there, so you can look for me there. And um, I guess that's it. <laughs> So um, it was a pleasure. Uh, it was great talking to you guys. I, yeah, thank uh, you for coming. Thank nice you for meet you. having me in. And um, Anthony, I want to talk to you about that Vito BR that you posted today. Um, yeah, I was going to yeah. say, I, I've been, I, I got this camera from, from, from Michael uh, and um, started getting a sticky shutter. So I sent it off for a complete CLA, got it back today, shot a test roll uh, with some Oro UN 5.4. It's working like a charm, man. It is. It's it's calibrated. the The rangefinder is calibrated on it. It's such a simple camera. Yep. Um, you know, it, it's the the, the Vitamatics have the light meter. I like this one because it doesn't have the light meter and it has that form factor of the original BR. Yep. And, and it's rare, uh, yeah. 
It that is. big viewfinder, like whopping great big viewfinder. Oh, I love a, those things. You know, it's a crystal viewfinder with the rangefinder patch built in the middle of it. And nice. yeah. yeah, I will tell. I will give you one warning. While while you shouldn't drop any camera, you drop one of those once, <laughs> and that prism will break. Crack. Yeah, <laughs> you you anyway, get you get one shot. But Mike, I know you got to go. Thank you for I, joining. I me. thank you, everybody. Have a great evening, and yeah. um, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, Bye, thanks. everybody. Bye. Hey, Mike. Nice so what what about you, Theo? Anything new? Um, I, I haven't received it yet, but I did actually find a Mamiya mirror pit, which um might, oh, a lot the, of people might not the, know. The rapid Is that like camera. a Fuji pit? Yeah, mirror pit. And it's a um it's the only half frame camera Mamiya made. Um half frame thirty-five millimeter. So it's taken me about a year to find one that's working. And apparently this one does work. So I'm looking forward to actually receiving that. That's that's my big purchase. But I'm also just a bit happy here. We're, we're starting to get some of the restrictions lifted here. So I actually went out that's and good. shot this week. So I I actually got to use that Mamiya Seven with the uh, panoramic adapter that I keep talking about, and everyone's probably sick of hearing. And um, I actually got to shoot this uh, little little baby as well, and finished the roll through that a Lomo LCA, uh, one of the original. Uh, Russian version that came with the, the red box yeah. and all that sort of stuff. That that's a, cool. a lot of fun. It's the Lomo good, LCA, yeah, yeah. It was it was actually um, really nice to be able to to get out there and shoot again and and have something that really just made it fun. Just to, to yeah. sort of ease me back into shooting after a few months of uh, cool. being locked away. So. Um, so I'll circle back to one that I have here too. You know, earlier I was talking about the collector who liked to have the beginning and end the alpha and the omega of, of a series of cameras. So um, this one is not new. I have an Xacta uh, Twin TL, which um, is a camera made uh, in Japan by Cosina, yeah. but it's, yeah. it's, it's Scotty Haggy's logo on the back. I'm holding it up to the screen. I'll show pictures of this on the uh, uh, Instagram and Facebook pages. But the neat thing about this camera is that it uses a bayonet mount that the West German version of Haggy uh, had developed in the 60s as, as an attempt to try and reclaim some of the former glory um, of, of these exactas. But it didn't work. I mean, well, the camera worked, but their, their attempt to make this camera successful failed. Um, but this would be like the last of the exactas. So you can probably guess. I think they made that in M42 now as well, did. Mark. I actually yeah. do have one of those as well. The the bayonet version that I'm holding up works perfectly. It's in really nice shape. I do have an M42 also that's completely locked up, but uh, I will have a review of that camera coming up very soon. Uh, that got but slagged off in the press when it came out. But um, and this one, I, I apologize to the people who uh, are only listening, Ooh. but I will, I will have pictures. But this camera has, I think, one of the coolest ever-ready cases of any that I've seen. This is an Xacta VP. Um, so you, you, you pop the top off yeah. and then the front le le leans off. Um, you know, I, I never really realized how much larger the, the 127 exactas are from the 35 millimeter ones. Um, but this one has um, a Biotar F2, eight centimeter. So, you know, you think, wow, eight centimeter, it seems long, but you, you got to remember it's 127, 127. focal plane. Um, the yeah. viewfinder is, is, is fixed, but it's a waist level. Um, still interchangeable yeah. mount. Um, and I'm really excited about shooting this camera. Uh, when I first got it, I couldn't get the shutter to fire. And the person who, who sent it to me said that the shutter was good, but did not realize you have to extend the lens before the shutter will allow you to fire. So once you extend the lens, 
I don't know if that shows if you can hear that, but it, it fires with really good snap. But um, in the box was what I thought were a bunch of um, hoods and, and you know, like accessories. Well, there was this tiny little box and I didn't realize, but it's a lens and I've never heard of this lens before. It's a Carl's ICANA Tessar 5.5 centimeter, but it's an F8. It's an F8 lens. So this hmm. one goes from wide open is F8 stop down all the way it's f45 so i mean we're talking you can't see it what, on the camera but what the, mount is that mark this is the vp mount so oh it's, okay it's like a screw mount so to get the lenses off you unscrew the lens off of the exacta vp uh like any old screw mount and then oh, you just screw you screw that, this thing back onto the exacta so i think that's is that the macro lens they made for it no, it's not. It's just wide angled. It's it? just it's a it's a very very slow wide angle lens. But you got to remember, in 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 the early '30s, there was almost no wide angle options in any format. You know. Yeah, um, at all. Yeah. So you know f that's probably why it's so slow. F8. That's probably the best they could do at that time. Because I got to be honest, in, I'm now I'm in a dark basement, but looking through the viewfinder of this thing at F8, it's, it's incredibly dark. So I'll, I'll definitely have to shoot this in bright sunlight, but I will definitely have a review. And of course it's black. Um, you yeah. can't really see it here. I got to turn this off, but I will have pictures of this on the Instagram page and the Facebook page so people can see it. But um, I'm super excited to shoot this exacta. Um, if everything goes well, I'll have it um, on December 7th for the next then, one, 27 day. And they made the fast biotar for that. It's not the 75 millimeter f1.5, but it's the version for that camera. And it, it was so it was the Kini Exacta 127. So, and because it's in that camera mount, which is pretty obscure, you can pick up a fast biotar for that camera and the lens pretty cheaply because people don't want to shoot 127 very much and it's not really collectible. So, um, yeah, and you can get. 127 film they're re-rolling it now yeah so I'm, I'm i'm excited to shoot this one i will have a review of this hopefully before the end of the year so i'll have the um the twin tl uh in both bayonet and m42 mount soon uh and then stay tuned to december i will have the the, the vp hopefully i haven't shot it yet though so i'm hoping the shutter holds up um what what film are you going to shoot with it I have a film that was made in Germany. Uh, I got a huge box of it about a year ago called Supertone. And I, I've never heard of it before. Uh, as best as I could tell, it was made in the 60s. But I call this time traveler film because I've shot several uh, of this before. Um, if you look at my review for the Ashika 44, um, yep. I shot it in... Um, Gosh, I can't remember. I shot it in a couple other films too. And, you know, we were talking at the beginning of the show about backing paper interacting with film and whatever backing paper this has does not interact. I mean, this film still holds up really, really well. But so it's um, like Veracrime Pan. It's, yeah, it holds up very, yeah. it's a slower film. It's an ASA 50 speed film. I shoot it at box speed. Um, cool. It comes out fine. Um, and then I'll, I'll, I'll definitely put at least one roll of cutter or uh, color through it. Um, but I have a 120 to 127 slicer that I could just cut down, you know, Portra or Ektar or something to put, put at least one roll of color through it. So that, that, those are my 127 options. Um, 
but we've hit about the hour and 20 minute mark. So I think this is a good stopping point. Um, you know, as always, it's always really exciting to see who's going to show up. Jess, it's, a, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Um, I definitely want to check out your, um, your YouTube channel. Um, some of those, those uh, camera creations you have sound really exciting. Um, I, I've, you know, the RB67 is, is one I've never had a chance to shoot before. So I'll have to remedy that one of these days. Yeah, definitely. The RB67 is my bread and butter, my peanut yeah. butter and well, jam. That camera is so on trend at the moment. Yeah, I went, to like a, I went to a photo walk in Melbourne and there was a guy wandering around with that. I'm like, you know, it's a studio camera, right? <laughs> or or it's a really good hiking companion. It's heavy, but it just captures the woods well, so it, beautifully. And if a bear tries to attack you, you can just oh. beat it with the camera. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent weapon. Yeah. And it won't break the camera. So, right. yeah. What, yeah. What's your most used lens on it just quickly? My most used lens? Uh, Probably the 90 millimeter, um, but I do also have the nice. 65 and the 180 that I use uh, sometimes as well. And I'm looking into getting the 127. 127 is a really cool lens. Yeah. The 65 is really special. I love the yeah. 65. Yeah. And I'm a sucker for wide angle. So if I had that, I'd definitely go for the 65. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. a fun lens to use. I like it. And, and always, Cheyenne, it's always fun to talk to you. You too. Um, Sorry, I missed you last week, but I was no, at the no, crack house, okay. baby. Well, you know what? The crack house episode was a lot of fun, but uh, <laughs> I think I think I like non-crack house Cheyenne better. <laughs> yeah, well, it's better than I did one episode on the Classic Lenses podcast, and it was with time and everything. It ended up being like one o'clock in the morning, and I was so out of it. I listened to it afterwards, and I sounded drunk. I was, I couldn't remember the names of cameras and everything. I was so exhausted. So, yeah, I think that tops the, um, well, the this, crack house. Um, <laughs> real quick, besides your YouTube channel, Jess, is there another place that people can get a hold of you? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm on Instagram at Jess Hobbs Photo, uh, Twitter at Jess Hobbs Photo as well. And you can find me on Facebook if you ever want to chat. I love chatting awesome. cameras with everyone. So, yeah, awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, once again, thanks everybody for coming. Uh, hopefully anybody who's made it this far listening to this episode uh, will we'll be, will we'll consider joining us next week. We'll be doing this same time. Um, it is Monday nights. We record starting at nine o'clock central daylight savings time, uh, which, you know, I don't know if this helps, but you know, the universal time code minus five is where we're at here. So uh, it's perfect for people uh, far East uh, and on the West coast of the United States, just not so much Europe because everybody's sleeping. Uh, yeah, if it helps, it's um, it's 1 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Savings there Time. There you go. Wow, it's 127 in the retrograde state of Queensland. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, once again, uh, thanks, you guys, for coming. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Um, thanks, bye, everybody. Mark. See you, buddy. Thanks okay, for having everybody. me. Bye, bye. Welcome to the Camerosity Podcast, the first ever open source film photography podcast. I am your host, Mike Ekman, and shit. <laughs>